Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question for you. You always do. I know. So do you remember uh, when the first presidential debate happened, how we were talking about how we're never going to get that hour and a half back? Yes. Okay. Well, the debate on Thursday was canceled, which means we did get that hour and a half back. We got an, a precious 90 minutes of our lives returned to us. So my question for you is, what are you going to do with that hour and a half. Well, I feel like I have to make good on my complaint of last time and say that I will give myself a home pedicure with that extra time. Oh, do you have like equipment? I do have equipment. Like various? It's, it's basic prairie level equipment. It's, it's, I hope I don't make my feet bleed, but it, <laughs> it requires industrial strength to deal with the situation afoot. <laughs> I'm picturing you using like garden spades and it's and not like far from that. It's not far from that. <laughs> um, I think with that time, I'm going to unpack my suitcase because it's just been sitting there on the floor. That's brilliant. I'm gonna unpack it and then I'm gonna put my clothes away and I'm gonna just like enjoy my room being clean. That's like such it's a, a real good way. Gift. I'm, I'm just gonna feel cleansed. 90 minutes. The gift man. of time. It's not a joke. We got it back. We got it back. Thank you, Donald Trump, for being an idiot and getting COVID as a result. This week, we're joined by Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, Dana Schwartz, and Riri Cheney to tackle the following questions. Why would Amy Coney Barrett even need to take notes during her confirmation hearing if she's not going to answer any questions? Why don't some people want Washington, D.C. to become a state? And what's wrong with calling yourself a guy's girl? All this and more right now. Okay, Alyssa, a lot of news to get to this week. <sighs> so much. <laughs> that, that sigh really em embodies some stuff. But the good news is, I, you know, we're going to start with something that's a little heavy and unpleasant. And then I, we have a couple of exciting toasts at the end that we're both yes. like excited about. So, you know, let's, let's slog through this. Let's go from the bad Amy to the good Amy and, uh, <laughs> and then let's move on to our toasts. Okay. So Amy Coney Barrett is, uh, mm -hmm. is talking to members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. She's not saying much. Um, one thing that's clear from her hearing is that Amy Coney Barrett is shifty Amy Coney Barrett is smart. Amy Coney Barrett is smarter than Brett Kavanaugh. Like, mm -hmm. obviously smarter than Brett Kavanaugh, which makes her confirmation hearing significantly less irritating on its face because it's got less screaming in it. But do you think that her being more pleasant than other nominees, I'm, I'm specifically talking about Brett Kavanaugh, has lulled people into a false sense of complacency? 
No, I don't think so. I really don't. I think that we all probably learn a little bit more because we listen because we're not being shouted out about <laughs> shouted at about liking beer and squee and some calendars. You know, mm-hmm. I think that we in some ways, you know, I can't tell you a ton from my memory of like policy questions that Brett Kavanaugh answered, right? Like we were really put off by his temperament and everything sort of fell from there. Mm -hmm. But with her, I think that senators have asked very good questions of her. I think she hasn't answered most of them. I think that that tells us a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, I think especially because she is, you know, for someone who says that um, it's my job to not forecast or say how I would vote if I were on the Supreme Court. But, you know, she tells us, she she has told us a lot. She's uh, very Christian. She's pro-life. And she brings her kids everywhere. And I say this not because she's a woman, but I don't understand why people bring their small children to confirmation hearings. It makes no sense. Have you seen pictures from Antonin Scalia's confirmation hearing? Uh-uh. He brought his entire big family. There, there's something to me read like a sort of hat tip to her mentor, Antonin Scalia, who she clerked for. Oh, interesting. During, okay. Yeah, I did not know that. During his hearing, he had like, I think he has nine kids or something like that. And they all were sitting there in the chambers. And he was con- wow. he was confirmed during a time where things were a lot less contentious. Um, right. I mean, Bork had already happened, but he was, things were a lot less contentious um, when he was confirmed. And so there was a lot of like, it, it's super weird to revisit that now because there was a lot of like people on the committee like complimenting his big family. And, and it was, it was like very, very strange. But I, I think one thing that you know, her family life is pretty irrelevant to her capacity right. as as a judge. And her being a nice lady doesn't really have anything to do with her capacity as a judge. What I was disturbed by is that, like, these hearings always, to me, seem just like an exercise in gaslighting. We know what she mm-hmm. thinks about Roe v. Wade. We know what she thinks about it. It is, we know. And so she spends, you know, days pretending that we don't know and that her views are somehow something that she's going to rule on without input from her, you know, like she signed on to a letter that was written on behalf of a group that believes in vitro fertilization is manslaughter. Has anyone asked her about that? I didn't notice. I feel like it's crazy. Did they? Somebody did on Tuesday. They asked her if she felt like that. And she said that she just signed the letter on her way out of church or something. Oh, I saw, I did hear that part. That's fucking nuts. Uh, Yeah, I just, I hate how we're being gaslit here. I I just, I hate it. Here's my question for you. Do you think, because, you know, there are a lot of people who think that Democrats should have boycotted the hearing to show what a sham it was. I don't know how I feel about that. What do you think? I don't know. I I feel like the, the right thing to do is, I think the platonic ideal of a member of the Senate Judiciary Hmm. for this has been... Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar, who... The good Amy. The good Amy. As, you know, as as she was running for president, she wasn't somebody that I, whose candidacy I was enthusiastic about. Um, she's somebody who falls to the right of me on many issues. But as a member of this committee, she's done a really good job of asking pointed questions um, that seem to have simple answers, but that Amy Coney Barrett 
the bad Amy, um, has, has been dodging. She's also taken moments to remind people that the fact that the hearing is even going on is something that sucks. You know, like as she reminded us, I think the other week, she said, people have already started to vote. People don't want this. People don't want this. This is a sham. And, you know, it's true what Lindsey Graham said at the beginning of the committee hearing that nobody's mind is really going to be changed by this. But the fact is that people are still tuning in and the good Amy, (laughs) Senator Klobuchar, is doing a good job of, of taking a moment to like zoom out and be like, this is garbage. This is a, this is garbage. Same thing with uh, Senator Whitehouse who yesterday or or on Tuesday um, has really hammered the fact that dark money is behind um, a lot of conservative court packing. So I don't know, Alyssa, what do you think? Do you think that they should have not even gone to the hearing? What do you think they should have done? No. So I, I, as we've discussed, I'm a bit of an institutionalist. And while it, while they are blowing to smithereens the institution, I still think that if Democrats hadn't shown up, it would have been such a way to paint them as like petulant and, you know, and I, and I do think that specifically Amy Klobuchar and Maisie Hirono, their lines of questioning have been like, wait a minute, you know, like, like if you look at what Maisie did after Amy, okay, also, I know that we shouldn't use her initials like she's RBG, but her name to spit out is hard for me. Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, She said, and Aaron, correct me if I get the words wrong, she referenced sexual preference instead of sexual orientation when she was talking about LGBTQ. And if the Democrats hadn't have been there, she wouldn't have been corrected and held to task. Maisie Hirono was like, what you said was offensive and wrong, and and Barrett apologized. So I do think that there has been upside in the senators, the Democratic senators being there and actively questioning her, even if she's mostly not answering any questions. Mm -hmm. It has been kind of a shame, as you and I have talked about, um, that Kamala Harris hasn't been physically present. But yes, um, it also is. It also is a shame that the hearing is taking place in person at all. Like Mike Lee, um, Utah's somehow less charismatic senator than Mitt Romney. Mike Lee is uh, has COVID, and and he's he's an utterly forgettable man, um, apart from the fact that he's just spewing COVID all over. Um, that's what history will remember him as, because he's just mm-hmm. been unbelievably reckless and ridiculous. You know, Mike Lee has COVID. Um, who else tested? Another member of the committee, Tom Tillis. Pest- Tom te- Tillis. Yeah, he tested positive for COVID. He he's participating remotely. I think that the the hearing should have been done entirely remotely, or it should have waited until everybody got the all clear. Um, so everybody could be there in person. Um, it was a shame because Kamala Harris's questioning on Tuesday, I thought was pointed and and good. And it would have been better had she either been there in person or if everybody was kind of playing from the same, uh, playing. I agree. Because like the thing that we remember so vividly, even when she when she first started to run for president, was her questioning of Brett Kavanaugh and how extraordinary she was 
uh, in that moment. And so I think that because we remember that, we know what she would be capable of in person right now with Amy Coney Barrett. Um, so watching her last night, like no one's great on Zoom. Like it doesn't matter how fucking good you are. You're no one's great on Zoom. And so I felt like it, it, she held her to task and she did a good job, but it was just like, it would have been a real zinger, like a real moment if she had been there in person, but like, we get it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this isn't the headline, but I wanted to highlight a moment that happened on Tuesday that you and I both noticed uh, when the good Amy, Senator Klobuchar, was questioning the bad Amy, she made an aside comment about how she wished that she was the one that was nominated for Supreme Court. So do you think that Amy Klobuchar would be a good Supreme Court justice? I do. I do think I do. I do think she would be a good SCOTUS. I think she let us all know she's open to the opportunity. Yesterday. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, it's not just like lean. as she should throw your hat in the ring if you want to. You know, um, people were sort of joking around about, you know, Clarence Thomas is getting up there in years and, you know, he's going to retire at some point. And um, it would be pretty amazing to have Somebody like Amy Klobuchar or a woman who is a, a woman of color who has like the opposite views of Clarence Thomas. So we can RBG him as well. Um, I think that would be, yes. that would be very satisfying. Um, I want to do toasts now, now mm. that we're done with that unpleasantness. Um, I have a toast that we didn't previously discuss. We talked about it in the, his, uh, the Hysteria Slack but I wanted to toast um, Michigan Senator Gary Peters. Yes. Who this week became the first ever senator to tell a personal abortion story. He told the story of, um, he shared the story with Laura Bassett, who is uh, actually mm-hmm. a friend of mine. And uh, she's great. She He told Laura Bassett about how his wife had to have a, a later term abortion um, as a result of a miscarriage that that didn't quite, a pregnancy that was not going to survive um, and a hospital that refused to perform an abortion on a uh, in a situation that w- that endangered his wife's life, and it's you know we'll link to it in show notes. But it was mm-hmm. really it was really brave of him to share that, and the way that he spoke about it indicated to me that he really got it. You know, as a as a compassionate person, as a husband and father, the way that he spoke about it felt like. There was nothing about a man sharing that story that that made me gave me pause or made me cringe. He was such a it's so important that people share stories like that. And I'm really glad that he shared that. Yeah. And the other reason it was so such a big deal for him to do is that he's in a really tight race, like really tight race Um, of all the Senate races. He's probably one of the closest. And there are probably a lot of people in his district who might be thinking about voting for him that were like, oh, God, why did you do that? Or who are pro-life. And so he really did it. Like you can tell he did it because he believed it and he sees what's at stake right now uh, with this uh, SCOTUS nominee. And he just didn't think that, uh, he thought that now was a good time to tell a story that like impacted him deeply and probably thousands and thousands of other Americans who've been in similar situations. Mm-hmm. And he's very clear in the article too, that the reason they were able to resolve to, to get the abortion that she needed was because they knew someone. And that's not the case for all those other people who would be facing huge issues if Roe were overturned or, you know, basically, caveated into oblivion. Yeah, exactly. So toast to uh, Senator Peters. Um, We have a rare two-man toast 
today. I think it's it, two man kind of day. Two man toast. Uh, Alyssa, do you want to talk about the other man that gets a toasting from us today? Do you mean Slayer Pete Buttigieg? Pete fucking Buttigieg. What the? What? Now, look, before everyone, I saw a lot of this on Twitter, so I'm just going to get it out of the way. Everyone's mad if you're like, look, Pete wasn't my guy in the primary, but okay, look, I feel like if you don't say that, then people are like, what the fuck you Pete come lately? Like you weren't for him back in the day. Here's the deal. I don't give a fuck who you are for. Mayor Pete is destroying people every day calmly. He is like, do you know what he's like? He's like what Donald Trump thought he was getting in Mike Pence. This like smooth, like manicured, religious, clean cut, proper person. Midwestern, plain spoken, gosh darn it kind of a guy. Yeah. It is. It is the best is on all these Fox News interviews that he does is when he stands there and he's he does he does a wind up to everything. Well, Alyssa, we have sound of one <gasps> we of do? the Pete Buttigieg interviews. Let's listen to one of these examples of Pete on Fox News just sling blading everybody. You know, all of us have had to get used to uh, virtual formats, right? I mean, uh, parents are, are uh, you know, having to deal with e-learning, uh, which uh, in some cases, uh, you know, is, is uh, not what uh, uh, what we're used to. Well, it's always not what we're used to. I mean, we're having to take meetings over Zoom. Uh, it's not something I think most of us enjoy, but it's a safety measure. And I think part of why the U.S. is falling behind, uh, is badly behind the rest of the developed world on dealing with the pandemic is because every time there's been a choice between doing something in a way that's more safe or less safe, this president seems to push for less safe. I think it's also probably a reflection of the weakness of his campaign. Uh, You know, when when, uh, you see campaigns getting the kind of bad news that uh, he's been getting through through this month, uh, a lot of times you'll see these kinds of uh, increased arguments over rules, uh, withdrawing from, from opportunities, a little bit of flailing there. And, and it's too bad because I think, yeah. you know, the, the more uh, the American people can hear two candidates side by side, uh, even if it's virtual, sure. the better. Of course, the only reason we're here in the first place is that the president of the United States is still contagious as far as we know, right. uh, with a deadly di- a deadly disease, which, which reflects the uh, right. the overall problem. And, and uh, you know, I don't know why you would want to be in a room with other people if you were contagious with a deadly disease and you care about other sure. people. But maybe the president doesn't care about other people. Oh, Pete, Pete. <laughs> um, so if you want to kind of cheer yourself up, go ahead and take a look at uh, Mayor Pete's recent clips uh, on Fox News. One thing that is incredible about his role as a surrogate is that I feel watching these clips that people who are watching him on Fox News are finally seeing somebody who is a a Democrat who doesn't look like the boogeyman straw man that Tucker Carlson constructs every night and then beats up on air. He's a real guy who is getting Steve fucking Ducey and Brett Bear to nod and smile until they're like, wait a minute, I'm nodding like, and smiling. I just got punked. <laughs> wait a minute, how did I, wait, I'm agreeing. I've been led down this path and now I'm in a point where I must agree that the president is weak and getting bad news. And hates and, people. And hates people and doesn't care about people. It's, I think that as a surrogate, Pete Buttigieg is more effective than anybody Democrats have right now. And credit where it's due, man. Toast to Pete Buttigieg. I mean, and look, Aaron, like we said, Amy Klobes during the during the primary was not our number one 
Neither was Mayor Pete. But let me say, if these wonder twins want to take us through election day, (laughs) I'm all fucking for it. She can run the Senate Judiciary Committee. He can take down every news outlet that there is. Like, Thank you. We appreciate you. We are grateful. <laughs> and I and I love the fact that the two people right now, or two of the people right now that are really um, important voices for Democrats fucking hate each other. Like <laughs> Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. Okay, Pete. <laughs> team of rivals, you know? Team of it's, rivals. Look, everyone's doing what they got to to make it happen on November 3rd. <laughs> And on that note, let's uh, take a quick break. But when we come back, we have an interview with Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. I am so excited to welcome today Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. Congresswoman Norton represents the District of Columbia in Congress. She's a non-voting delegate, which means she can serve on committees, speak on the floor, but can't vote on final passages of the bill. Uh, But in addition to many other achievements in her career, in 1970, Norton represented 46 female staffers in the Newsweek newsroom when they sued for gender discrimination, the first such suit filed against a U.S. employer for the right to be journalists. Yes, that's right. In the 60s and 70s, only men could be reporters, which is crazy to me. Congresswoman Norton is also a pioneering voice in the black feminist movement and has been for decades. And you all can't see this because it's a podcast, but I was so excited to talk to her today that I wore sequins. So she did. I wore sequins for Congresswoman Norton. Congresswoman Norton, welcome. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. As a journalist, thank you for the work you did for the women of Newsweek. All the news today is being dominated by the Amy Coney Barrett hearings that are ongoing. You have a pretty special perspective on Supreme Court confirmations. You introduced Ruth Bader Ginsburg at her judiciary hearing in 1993. And at the time, you said she argued a half dozen women's rights cases before the Supreme Court. She won five of them. They are landmark cases. The most important established what many take for granted today. The 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause applies to women as well as men. So given who is currently in line to fill her position, have we gone backward in the last 27 years? Well, I'm not among those who assume that this woman is going to take us backwards. If she's true conservative, she is bound by what we call in the law stars decisis, where you have to have a damn good reason for overturning a decision. Now, that doesn't keep you from clawing in and reducing a decision, and I certainly wouldn't put that past her, but we would not have the Affordable Care Act, and we would not have uh, abortion, which is recognized in the District of Columbia, as it is not in a number of other states, if you could simply, or if conservative judges simply overturned cases, she has hedged the way she should in these hearings. I have my, I have myself argued a case before the Supreme Court, one that I won. <laughs> uh, it was not, it was a, it was a free speech case. Uh, But it does make me understand that uh, the Supreme Court should not be taken simply because, as is probably the case here, six judges may have been appointed by a Republican president, and that tells you all you need to know. In fact, she has said that there are a number of cases that she thinks cannot be overruled. She calls them super precedents. 
And she says, most of them are procedure, procedural. But I note that one of them is Brown versus Board of Education. Yesterday, Amy Coney Barrett dodged any questions on Roe v. Wade, despite having made public statements on the issue of choice in the form of actual ads in newspapers she signed on to. Going back to 1993, RBG and her testimony before the Judiciary Committee, when asked about Roe, said, the decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and her dignity. It is a decision she must make for herself. When government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as a less than fully adult human responsible for her own choices. Do you believe that we have a right to know certain fundamental positions of our SCOTUS nominees, specifically as it relates to settled precedent? Now, isn't this interesting? RGB was uh, confirmed uh, overwhelmingly by the Supreme Court, and yet she made clear what her uh, view was. That is very unusual. Uh, but it does tell you, you, you can be confirmed if you say out loud what you really think, as this nominee is not doing now. She's playing it as safe as she can and um, using all of her considerable skills as a lawyer to dodge most of the questions. Um, So going back to that Supreme Court case that you won, here's a quote from you that I find really fascinating. So you defended in the late 1960s the National States Rights Party, Listeners can probably guess from the name what they stood for. Um, But when you were pushed on that decision, you said, I defended the First Amendment, and you seldom get to defend the First Amendment by defending people you like. You don't know whether the First Amendment is alive and well until it's tested by people with despicable ideas. And I loved the idea of looking a racist in the face. Remember, this was a time when racism was much more alive and well than it is today, and saying, I am your lawyer, sir. What are you going to do about that? Love that quote. Um, But, you know, that quote makes me think, you know, how important it is to form alliances with people that you might find kind of abhorrent outside of the alliance. So what's the difference between forming a strategic alliance to achieve a goal and selling out and compromising your values? How do we hold our noses and partner with people who we need to partner with in order to get things done? Well, you will notice I didn't partner with the state's rights party yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in order when I defended their right to free speech. In fact, uh, the decision tried to shut them down before they spoke. They had spoken on one night, and this decision said you can't speak the next night because of what you have said. Uh, It's a very important case that has established uh, prior restraint as a rule that that nobody will flaunt any longer. In my case, uh, and that was as a uh, First Amendment lawyer. I approached the law in a very different way than I do as a member of Congress. As a member of Congress, I'm trying to change the law, trying to make the law work my way, work the way my constituents need. As a litigator, I was trying to interpret the law according to past precedents and to stay well within what, what, what the law I had already condoned, and that's how a litigant goes and matters. She doesn't try to make new law. She tries to say this is what the law already is. Mm-hmm. In Congress, I try to make new law. <laughs> Speaking of Congress, 
Uh, I'm sure our listeners know, as Aaron mentioned, that the representative from Washington, D.C. is a non-voting member of Congress. Can you walk us through the frustrations of that reality and tell us if there are any benefits or freedoms that come from being a non-voting member? None. Okay. <laughs> there are no benefits. Um, to uh, the credit of the Congress of the United States, it has never regarded me as a lesser kind of mortal because I don't have the right to vote. I'm in line now. I expect in the next Congress I will be a committee chair. The only thing, and maybe the most vital thing I can do is to vote on the House floor. Nevertheless, it's interesting to note that the Center for Effective Lawmaking has named me this year the most effective House lawmaker. And doing so, it says, essentially, even though she doesn't have the right to vote when it comes to getting bills passed, she surpasses other members. I do not, therefore, focus on what I do not have. I have been able, during my years in Congress, to focus on what I do have uh, and to bring home uh, considerable benefits to the residents of the District of Columbia. The most important, of course, is the, the bill just passed to make the District of Columbia the 51st state of the United States. Mm-hmm. And on that bill, we got an overwhelming vote, uh, including members from red states, people who had gotten to Congress only by two or three percentage votes, which I think means that they see D.C. statehood as more popular than most mm-hmm. Republicans do. Mm-hmm. The bill has a uh, considerable chance, I think, next year. The Senate is likely to become Democratic. It's difficult to get bills passed in the Senate, even though you have a Democratic Senate, but you will see that that moves us ahead very considerably if the Senate turns Democratic. And as for the presidency, I think it would take a miracle, a miracle I am not praying for, (laughs) for Donald Trump to be reelected president. He is so far down in the polls today. I don't see how he can revive himself or resuscitate. Mm -hmm. himself, as it were. I should mention that he's very much against D.C. statehood and that Joe Biden has, in fact, said he is for D.C. statehood. So I should make that clear, that that distinction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, D.C. statehood is is a hot topic of conversation at the crooked media offices. Let's talk about that a little bit. What would D.C. statehood mean for for people who live in your district, for your your constituents, and how could D.C. statehood impact the makeup of the Senate and the future of politics? In the makeup of the Senate, what bothers uh, the (laughs) Republicans is uh, two more senators that almost guaranteed to be Democratic. So it could affect the makeup of the Senate. But that's always been the case with new members coming in. Uh, That's why it's usually taken two to tango. It's hard for one member, one state to get in on on its own. So yeah, it would affect the makeup of the Senate. But the Republicans are so afraid that they have now put in two bills. One would cede the district back to Maryland. The district was formed out of two states. Maryland and Virginia, who willingly gave that land we now, where I now live, where I was born, to be the District of Columbia. They want to retrocede, that's what it's called, give the district back as their way of getting equal representation. First, that concedes that we should have equal representation. But secondly, 
Maryland and Virginia have not indicated that therefore getting another big city, they only have one, Baltimore, uh, in their midst. Uh, and in fact, Steny Hoyer, who is the majority leader and their most senior member, is a prime co-sponsor of D.C. statehood, has written a piece <laughs> for the Washington Post, an op-ed endorsing D.C. statehood. So much for seating us back to where we came from when Maryland and Virginia have not indicated any desire. Virginia long ago said we want out of this. But then the other bill essentially would take a constitutional amendment. It would say that you can't have any, essentially any more senators than we now have as of the present Congress. That's how desperate they are. That's how much they see D.C. statehood having real legs. Hmm. Congresswoman, when Kamala Harris was selected as Joe Biden's running mate, you said he wanted to make history and that's what he has done. Historically, the country has turned their backs on women who have made it to the contest for the highest executive office in the land. What can we do in the next three weeks to make sure this doesn't happen again? You're looking at Hillary Clinton, I suppose, and she wasn't alone. There have been others who have been certainly second Mm -hmm. for vice president. Kamala Harris does have a chance for a breakthrough here. She's very popular on the ticket. And we've got to consider that we've come a long way when it comes to women and women's rights. For example, it looks like women are going to decide this election, uh, particularly suburban women. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a real openness to a woman on the ticket at long last. In fact, In many quarters, there's a real hunger to see women represented at the highest levels, particularly when you consider the failure of the Trump administration. That's the best you got in a man, (laughs) Republicans. We've got something else for you that we think is just a bit better. So to end on a fun note, I noticed your Twitter handle is Eleanor DC Statehood Norton Holmes. Um, Alyssa and I are big fans of giving ourselves Twitter handles with like funny nicknames in the middle. My middle name on Twitter is Grudge Pack. And so is Alyssa's because we want to form a political action committee to hold grudges against people who worked for Donald Trump. But uh, if you had to give yourself a sillier nickname on Twitter What would it be? And if you don't have any, have other members of Congress or staffers ever tried to give you a silly nickname? (laughs) I I suppose when you consider what I'm pressing now, it would be Eleanor D.C. statehood, Holmes Norton. (laughs) 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 Because if I I get D.C. statehood, that'll make history for my city. Do you have any nicknames? Do people in Congress call you anything or do they not dare? That's interesting. I've never been called Ellie. Uh, people tend to call me Eleanor, so <laughs> I've never really liked Ellie anyway. Well, that's good then. You want to you want to be yeah. something that you actually like, um, Congresswoman Norton. We really appreciate you joining us today. This was really fun, really informative, and thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do. Thank you so much. I certainly enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. I hope to talk with you again. Yes, we'd love Bye. to have you. Bye.
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito... (laughs) <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Okay. Welcome back. I am super happy to welcome a lovely panel of women today. Alyssa is still with me, but I also want to welcome in, she is the host of the Noble Blood podcast, and she's also got like 27 other podcasts. It's Dana Schwartz. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so good to see your face. It's been a while. It's been way too long. I know. I feel like we need to do more than one show a week because otherwise I go like weeks and weeks without seeing the faces of the other co-hosts and it bums me out, to be quite frank. We could just do unrecorded podcasts, which are conversations. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I'm going to have to look into this. Um, yeah, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try. I get people, I'll get people with mics. You have to set it up and then you record it and just delete That's it immediately after. Fascinating. Well, I'll, I'll look, I'm going to look up the Wikipedia article on that after this. Uh, last but not least, she is a writer and all around excellent person, Riri Cheney joins us now. Hi, what's up? Uh, Riri, how's your Christian Uh, girl fall going? You know what? Here's the thing. I've started to make my own pumpkin foam, so my lattes are excellent. Really? Um, (laughs) Girl, no, you met me. (laughs) My friend made her own cider on Friday, and I I was like, what are you doing? I was, well, 
to be fair, I was tablescaping and listening to the Dixie Chicks. So I, yes, Alyssa, this is who I've become. Um, I relate entirely. <laughs> Just glad to not be alone. It was like, I really was like, yeah, I'm really going to get into this, um, this uh, napkin sculpture lifestyle. Can you fold it into an origami shape? What were you well, doing? Well, the origami shape, I was, I was like on, I was fully on good housekeeping trying to fold these napkins. And I realized, of course, I picked the one that was a flower, but actually it was like four vaginas. <laughs> and after like spending 10 minutes trying to do it, like really like pulling my life together, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 vaginas. <laughs> I mean, flowers are vaginas of plants. Flowers are, if we've learned anything from George O'Keefe, but it was like me yell, like really Googling Natalie Maine's ex-husband about like how dare he treat her this way while also <laughs> Bad guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. I'll say it. Guy. Gaslighter. He, I, you know what? Yes. Someone had to say it. Someone had to say it. <laughs> and it's like every song. I'm like, tight on her boat? You did that on her boat? Love it. <laughs> the boat. Never, never. Never saturate so someone's boat with your saturation. Oh. Um. <laughs> Man, I have but. a I have a cousin who is um she's she's lovely. She um but she's very Christian and she is having the ultimate Christian girl autumn. Like mm-hmm. she lives in Minnesota. She has like she's wearing cozy sweaters. She has a really cute little daughter. Her husband is super cute. Sometimes they're both wearing sweaters. Sometimes the baby mm-hmm. is wearing sweaters. They're like frolicking in leaves. They're baking. They're no f- being cozy. And I'm here in LA. It's like 95 degrees, and I, I'm very jealous. I'm jealous. I mean, Aaron, replace kid with cat, and it me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've been jamming for about six months. <laughs> Guys, I've moved on to apple orchards, okay? I'm part of the cult that was looking for the Ashmead's kernel, an original apple variety indigenous to northern upstate New York. Ma'am. This is yep. so exciting to me. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's like I take it seriously. I take it seriously. I don't just play around. Wait, there's a cult no. around this type of apple varietal? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually called several orchards. There was only one in Kinderhook, New York, Samascott, that had the Ashmead's kernel, along with the Golden Russet, which is also a delicious, very, very like 1700s, 1600s. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to call Caucasian nonsense on this. <laughs> it's okay, Riri, because I now have seven boxes of apples that I picked myself (laughs) that are going to be turned into things, except my husband is very understanding because I have no place to put the boxes, so they're all around the house. Oh, my gracious. I I love this. I'll send pictures later. I love this. I I love that. I feel like I I have to chime in with my Christian girl, Autumn, and say I baked... A full-on cake last week for the first time in my life. It was beautiful. I saw it. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. Three layers, homemade lemon curd on the inside. Beautiful. I got got really ambitious. I didn't know we were making curds. I made a curd. It was so British Bake Off, like 10 out of 10. It was Mm -hmm. amazing. Thank you so much. I was so proud of myself. I took... A million pictures. It's the best thing I ever made. Dana, I do feel like this like homey prairiness that we've all like have the privilege to like step into does soothe my body. Like I like my house smelling like butter. You know, I like <laughs> it's it's really like I'm I made a galette this weekend just for fun. I'm working on my caramels. Like you know, like that's where we're at. 
Um, have you, Ruby, have you noticed, because for me, it's like I do, when you like do so much writing, it's just sort of like in the ether, mm-hmm. but it's really like cathartic to have like a physical thing that you make. Oh, yeah. You're like, it's, there it is. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a break. Like I use cooking to break up the day, break up. You know, I'm in the room in the morning and then I'm watching these horrible hearings and then I'm like, well, my friend's pregnant and all she wants is red meat, but her husband is vegetarian. So I'm going to make her lamb and like a light carbonara. So that's what I did last night. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Thank you. That's so sweet, guys. Um, I want to pivot really quickly back to Riri's calling of <laughs> calling of Christian or uh, of uh, Caucasian nonsense, um, yep. because I think that that really segues well into the <laughs> quote that I'm about to read. Uh, ca- Caucasian nonsense from the president, who is truly the, the king of Caucasian nonsense. Uh, the president mm-hmm. in a rally this week, um, you know, his poll numbers are, are not great. Uh, women who voted for him back in 2016 are leaving him, I would say it's in metric droves. It's not even like regular standard units of droves. It's metric droves. <laughs> Um, And he's trying to win them back in a way that only Donald Trump can. So he said in a rally on Tuesday, so can I ask you to do me a favor, suburban women? Will you please Mm. like me? Please? Please. Please. I saved your damn neighborhood. Okay? Um, Donald Trump is essentially asking white female voters to abandon their best interests and just come and hang out with the guys, which is sort of the topic that I wanted to talk about this week because we've been watching, you know, you mentioned the hearings. I think we've all been like peeking in on Amy Coney Barrett not answering any questions and Republicans being impressed by the fact that she doesn't need notes in order to do that. Um, <laughs> Amy, Amy Coney Barrett has sort of, uh, she's sort of a, a person who has risen to where she's risen. She's knocking on the door of being on the Supreme Court, basically because she's espoused all the views of white Christian evangelical men. Um, So I wanted to use today to talk about, like, how suspicious are we of women who only hang out with guys? How do we feel about women who align themselves with men in order to make things more difficult for other Women. So Dana, it's been the longest since I've seen you. How would yeah. you define a guy's girl? Is Amy Coney Barrett a guy's girl? And and are they dangerous? And if so, to what degree? Oh my God, absolutely. I find it so um, chilling with the emphasis of her having a family as if that is her qualification for being on the, the highest court in the land with a lifetime appointment, <laughs> which like, great for you that you have a family. That's nice, but it is irrelevant to this larger picture it it i know people have been making that like hacky handmaid's tale like comparison but it it does sort of feel like this thing where she is establishing herself as the puppet of the patriarchy in a way that only benefits herself and women like her but also totally diminishes her her capabilities and her own like Oh, it makes me so mad. Like the women who only, sorry, I'm like ranting because I, it's, so if you internalize misogyny long enough, you believe it. And then you think that if you turn on your fellow women and throw them under the bus, you can advance yourself. And sometimes you can, and that sucks. Um, 
Riri, when we talk about guys, girls, are we talking mm. about straight women? Like what, what do you picture when you picture a uh, guys girl? Mm, here's what I think. It's the cool girl monologue. It's the cool girl monologue without fraud and felony framing from murder. From Gone Girl. In um, <laughs> Gone Girl, sorry. If you don't know, if it hasn't been stuck in your brain for the last 10 years, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I have always had a hard time understanding this just because of my education. I went to an all-girl school. Um, I don't like spilling things, you know, I don't like pretending I'm okay when people spill. <laughs> so I've never really like been able to craft, uh, some sort of symmetry with that, but it's not, for me, it's not even about the women who spend most of their time with heterosexual men. I think that's also a thing that probably should be said. It's like, I spend most of my time with a queer variety of nonsense humans who most identify as cis male. And I would never identify myself as that. I think there is, we're talking about the proximity to power, the power that they believe that they have by taking this stance of, you know, like submissive support or making their opinions smaller or changing their opinions or just wanting to be seen as a woman who doesn't raise her voice, who doesn't have an opinion that like could harm an ego. And in those terms, those, those women, I got, cause they're women, they're not girls. They're whole ass women who call themselves girls to still be seen as small and delicate. <laughs> and that is what's like so frustrating because if you think about it, if you think about the comparison of these these hearings this week versus Kamala Harris kicking ass last week, right? It's all about, oh, she's keeps saying, sir, and please. And, and Amy keeps talking about, like, my kid, no one wants the law according to Amy versus, like, Kamala Harris having to smile, but she smiled too much because and a lot of women be like, she's smiling too much. She's being condescending. Well, she's a black woman on television. So if she didn't smile, you guys would have a cartoon of her as some sort of animal on Time magazine next week. Mm -hmm. So it's just like very frustrating to me because it's so it's we have so much coming at us from men, from like the historical patriarchal oppression that like is in everyone's genes and blood and sweat. And then like for the for other women to accuse other women of not doing it right because they're just like really chill ladies who hang out with men hate that mm -hmm. loathe it mm -hmm. please take it back <laughs> yeah. i think uh, there's there's also sort of something i've noticed on, like in myself also early on when i was like in my early 20s this cultural idea that there's only room for one woman at the mm -hmm. top or in any room so if you have that which like society has taught us that like it's all dudes and then there can be one woman one cool woman who makes it you sort of inherently begin to see other women as your competition yeah. in a way that's not real, but that we're all sort of conditioned to believe that. And I think that feeds into the, the guys girl thing where women see each other as the competition and try to push each other back to move forward. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that that whole framework is a patriarchal framework that we have to like, stop trying to get ahead in the system. Let's tear the system down and start again. Mm -hmm. Well, it's especially like working in entertainment too. It's like when you're up for a job out here very often, you'll hear from your reps or someone who's trying to, you know, put you on. Well, they're still figuring out who the girl in the room is going to be. 
And that's like, you, you said the, those words out loud. Mm-hmm. And it's not from my massive group of, you know, writer, female writer friends who are always like, yo, I didn't get this, but just so you know, they're looking for blah, 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 blah. Like go in there, read this book, read this article, like so supportive. It's like this external and yeah, it's like the people making decisions, but also it's the people in between. It's this idea that there can only be one and it's like spread to us often, mm-hmm. and, which is just so frustrating because that's not how I live my life in my life. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, so. what do you make of it when a woman says, I only hang out with guys because girls are too much drama. So we move out of the we move out of the professional realm where we're pitted against each other by people who don't want to see anything and we're in the social realm now. So what what do you think of of that? Um Okay, so this is both personal and professional, but there was a woman very a very formative age for me. I was right around 30. And this woman was part of a prep group uh, for someone who was running for president. And she was one of the women, like one of the few women who was in the group. And, uh, I found out she always like kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but then I found out that she used to wake up at four in the morning so that she could both flat iron her hair and listen to all of ESPN before she would meet the guys for breakfast. So she could talk sports with them and be like, the guy's guy. And, and like, they fell for it. Like, they fell for it. You always hear the guys being like, she's so fucking cool. Like, she loves sports. And the funny thing was, is that it so repelled me and made me angry. Because I'm like, there is no way she gives that many fucks about baseball. Like, no, it is not possible. That it turned me into a caricature of the opposite, where I would be like, oh my God, you guys, they'd be talking about sports. And I'd be like, did you see who landed a quadruple toe loop in competition? (laughs) And the funny thing is, is that the truth is the guys thought that was funnier than someone who they knew was kind of like posing, for lack of a better word, to like be with one of them. So the funny thing is is that I think there are women who are like, I want to be a guy's guy, but do the guys guy, do the guys really see her as one of them? Like, I just think it's like an ill-fated attempt. And then you just come off as a faker. But I definitely, I definitely know those people. I feel like the thing about that situation where that girl is setting her, herself up where it's like, she has to keep waking up at 4am to like flat her hair. Exactly. And also like, yeah, they're going to, make fun of her behind her back and like talk about if she's hot or not. Like they're going to still diminish her. You're not getting the key to the club that you want. Mm -hmm. Also, I would like to tell the men that sometimes the model breaks bad on them because another girl I knew in high school who very much was like a guy's girl, like she always had boyfriends and stuff, but like she hung out with guys a lot and everyone was like, oh, she's such a, a guy's girl, whatever. And she turned around and became part of uh, SVU, like the real one, not the television show, and was part of the team that hunted Harvey Weinstein for five years. So like, and and at the time, at the end, the New, the New York TV stations showed her bringing Harvey into Precinct One, right, when they arrested him. And they were like, there they go again, just trying to put in a woman out there to bring her. I was like, oh, she fucking earned that shit. She's earned that since the 10th grade. She's earned that shit. <laughs> she was getting intel the whole time. The whole time. So beware, men, by being drawn in. (laughs) Well, you know, there always seemed to me to be something insecure 
in this particular archetype. Like, I'm not talking about somebody who's quote unquote, uh, maybe a little bit more masculine in their gender expression. And so they literally are like, I, an old word for that would be like a tomboy. But, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like straight women who are sexually available, who only hang out with straight guys and sort of guard against other women infiltrating the group and, and sort of shit talk the whole concept of women within the context of the group. There seems to be something to me that's very uh, both immature and insecure about it. Like when I was younger, I used to, I think I wanted to be that person. I wanted to be cool enough. I wanted to get like the validation from men that where it was like, you know, I have this group of guys and they all like me, you know, they all think I'm the Mm -hmm. best and I'm better than all the other women or whatever. But that was something that I, I think came from a, a deep insecurity about like not being able to validate myself, um, apart from, what men's opinions were of me. And one of the wisest things I've heard in recent years, um, and and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting who the author is of this quote, but nothing only straight men like is cool. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Like music. Nothing only straight men like is cool. And if I think that that sort of archetype of girl, of woman, has evolved in my eyes, I used to think that it was like something that, Oh, yeah, something enviable, something cool. And now I'm just sort of like, maybe she doesn't have any female friends because she sucks. You know, maybe mm. she's intolerable to 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 be around. Um, have any of you like had a situation where you were one of a group of straight men or that you were around straight men who or around a girl like this? And and what kind of became of her? So, so when I was around a lot of straight white men, especially when I would offer to drive to dead shows and to see fish. <laughs> so, hey. but there was one, there was one girl who always was like very adamantly, you know, I am a, I am a guy's girl, like girl, women are awful. They're so catty. They're so petty. And like, she is the only one I really have a memory of. And it turns out she's a lesbian. So I don't know. I, that's my only example. <laughs> oh, I love that turn. That's, uh, that's a that's a great turn for her. I lo- love love that for her. Love that energy for her. Love that for her. I have a story that I heard. So there's a woman in the pop culture zeitgeist who I feel like embodies the the guys girl to me, who is uh, incredibly sexy and dates sports people and writes very sexy books and you know sort of like the max model of women. And she was sort of like a gamer nerd for a little while. And my ex-boyfriend at the time told me this story about when how he, when he was like 15 or 16, he and his guy friend went to wait for like a book signing of hers because they like, she was on like a, some like sports gaming thing. So they want her to, and she was like sexy. They want her to sign her book. And they were like weedy little nerdy Long Island 15 year olds. And she just like with a gl- the way he describes it, just like with a glassy look in her eye, just like opened the book to like the signing page, signed her name and then drew an arrow to her mouth and to her ass and wrote insert cock here what? to her book to children who were at. Mm. And it's like she had just gone into like robot sexy girl mode <laughs> in a completely wild wow. and inappropriate way. And wow. that just 
stuck with me for that reason because that's when, insane. Uh, when your sexy girlness goes to your penmanship, oh you my really God. hit a turn. <laughs> and it just feels like at that point you're like playing a role, right? Where your entire life is like subsumed by like, how can I be like whatever like Maxim Centerfold that guys want? Uh-huh. Do I have to be interested in video games? Do I have to be interested in sports? What do I have to do to get guys to like me? Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's there's the flip side of that where it is absolutely possible and it's fairly common for women to like sports genuinely mm-hmm. because yeah. they like sports. Same thing with playing video games. Like women gen- genuinely like it. And and like some indie indie rock is another thing. Like when I was younger going to shows of a specific type of band, there were always like record store clerk ass guys who acted, you know, the sort of like name three of their albums, like, you know, yeah. archetype. Oh, you like this band? Like who's your, oh, who's your favorite bassist from the band or whatever? What do you like? Stairway to heaven? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get it. Oh, you like Led Zeppelin? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Who's uh? blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, it's it's exhausting because I think the existence of this archetype makes makes some straight men think that anytime women like things that are traditionally thought of as, as boyish, that they're doing it for them. Yeah, I agree with that. And like, isn't that crazy though that they that women hypothetically like that bad example that they're trying to weed out a woman faking it to trick them is like no, a woman faking it to like try to befriend you, to try to, like, relate to your interests. Like, they're now being antagonistic to someone who's, like, trying to be on their level. Like, if a guy, to me, was like, oh, I love the Great British Baking Show, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, which which contestant? (laughs) I'd be like, thank you for trying to meet me on my level. (laughs) But I think that's part of, I mean, that's part of the issue, right, is that it's this idea of, like, meeting them at their level. It's, like, to get, you know, be, well, I almost said be butch enough, but like to like sports enough to like, I just tried to find it. There's this tweet that is just stills from movies where men come up to women at record stores. And <laughs> it, the tweet was, the tweet was just like, could never be me. And it's like, it's just, it's true. It's like this, we are, we're ingrained to believe that we have to be tested, that our interests have to be tested. But in that sort of you know, like earnest love of things, which I, I'm so down. If that, if you love sports, I love playing touch football. If that's like what you like to be out there doing, like I'm a body somebody, if I have to body somebody. But the difference is I was raised, I was never taught how to enjoy watching someone like play video games or watch them do the thing. I've always wanted to be engaged in it. And I think there's often that, like that difference is the problem for me mm-hmm. of the girls who aren't allowed on the field, but they like that she like noticed like your, your stats on yours, you know, whatever rugby, whatever's, I don't know why I went with rugby, but alas, <laughs> that's apparently what I said out loud. It's Christian go fall. That's why. Christian go, Christian go fall is just very like British old town <laughs> rugby sort of situation. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's not that, I think that's, it's not that like you can like what you want and do what you want. And like, you know, play play pong, hang out, like be chill. But it's when you see the women who want to actually be on the field and want to be, and be seen as equal because they are equal and they don't question that as like being too much. Mm-hmm. That's when I have a problem. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that raises a really interesting point. And you kind of like brushed up against it, but I wanted to kind of drill down on it. Um, you know, I think that there's different ways, like you said, to be engaged with an interest. And one of them is to be sort of like 
a fawning sidekick. And one of them is to be an active participant. And I, I have noticed, I think millennial men are better at this, better about this than some of the older generations, but some of them still really fucking suck. Um, (laughs) Nobody is owed a fan, you know, like your friends, like nobody is owed a, a gadfly to follow you around and tell you that everything you're doing is, is awesome. And, and that you never have, I mean, and, and maybe if you have somebody who does sometimes think everything you're doing is awesome, you should probably in some contexts be the one that is supporting and cheering them on as well. It seems like it, it seems like the guy's girl archetype is often expected to be perennially sexually available and also perennially enthusiastic about whatever dumb shit the guys mm-hmm. are doing. And one one way I want to, we have to wrap this conversation up because we have to get to I feel petty. But um, one thing that I've noticed, you know, and, and I hate being like, no, don't, don't party and have fun because it could go wrong for you. But I do think that pressure sometimes to keep up with guys when it comes to things like drinking a shitload or, you know, doing a ton of drugs or staying up all night can be really, really dangerous and awful. And that doesn't matter if your friends are like guys or girls, but I just think that I, I, the times that I saw women that I know or was familiar with really end up, you know, hurting, whether that's just like hungover or like they left their wallet in a cab and, you know, or they're, you know, they're, I feel like a lot of it is, is due to trying to keep up with dumb guys. Um, and so I think that that's sort of like, I hate being like, Oh, cautionary tale, but like, you don't need to drink as much as the guys. You don't need to do that. They'll, they'll still like you, you know? Yeah. People want to be around good people. Like that's the end of like, if you're supposed to be friends with them or you're supposed to be homies with them, you will be, you don't have to like change who you are. And like when you were saying that the very light version of that is what did we learn from Julia Roberts and runaway bride? Don't change yourself to be a rock climbing, basketball loving, bug, butterfly doing person. Figure out what type of eggs you like. And then hot Richard Gere with a very nice two bedroom apartment will come and love you. (laughs) And that's where I've landed about that. Agree. Such a good lesson. (laughs) The the guy, the type of straight guy who will only like you if you can answer the sports stats correctly and are, and your hair is perfectly flat aired are shitty guys that you don't want to be friends with. There are plenty of straight, if you like that, whatever you're genuinely interested in, there's straight dudes who are cool. There's, you know, people across the gender expression spectrum that are chill. If a guy, if you have to like jump through hoops for a guy, a certain type of guy to want to be your friend, he's a shitty person that you shouldn't be friends with. Can I just say the day that I met Dan Pfeiffer, well, not the first day, but the day we sat in an office together for the first time. And I was like, here we go. You know, Pfeiffer had this like reputation in DC, whatever. And I made a joke that was very 90210 specific. And he turned around and was like, I've seen every episode. And I was like, we're going to be friends because you just met me on my level. (laughs) And it turned out it was his level too. (laughs) It's so funny imagining Dan. I've only known Dan Pfeiffer within, like, I think within the last three years, I've only known him like post Crooked Media founding and imagining him being someone, I'm sorry, that is like feared. He's like the nicest guy. I can't imagine anything. He is the nicest guy. He is the nicest guy. But in DC at the time, it was like, he was Dan Pfeiffer. (laughs) And I felt like I had the best secret. I was like, fucking Dan Pfeiffer knows everything about Dylan McKay and Kelly. And he likes Brenda. (laughs) That's all I need to know. 
That's a great uh, note to end on. Brenda. Us, yeah. us throwing so, some shine on, on Dan Pfeiffer. <laughs> um, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, I feel petty. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. All right, we're back with the last segment of the show called I Feel Petty. But before we get to that, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Vote Save America's Build Your Own Ballot Tool is live in all 50 states. If you visit votesaveamerica.com slash ballot and enter the address where you're registered to vote, you can see the exact races and ballot measures you'll be voting on, and you can get more information about all of them. Vote Save America did the research and compiled the information. This makes it so easy to learn about the things on your ballot and make informed choices. You can pull it up while you fill out your vote by mail ballot at home or save it on your phone, or you can print it and bring it with you if you're voting in person. That's going to be super helpful for me. There's so many propositions to vote on in California, and there's so many like vote yes on prop, whatever, and with no explanation as as to what it is. Um, So I'm excited. Well, so you know what you can do. You can visit votesaveamerica.com slash ballot now to learn more. I am going to as soon as we're done recording because I am very confused about all the things I'm supposed to be voting on here. So, yeah, super exciting. All right, let's get to I Feel Petty. Okay, that's done. The house has been kept. Um, Now let's do I Feel Petty. These are things that don't matter that we still nevertheless care very deeply about. Dana. Would you like to go first? Yes. This is inspired by that uh, awful theatrical moment where they made uh, Judge Amy hold up her empty notepad as if that was something to be proud of, Mm. not taking notes. Uh, And so my I feel petty is if you're a server at a restaurant, you don't have to memorize my order. You can write it down. (laughs) It's you don't get bonus points for memorizing it. It's not a like a, a speech and forensics event. <laughs> I I don't I'm not going to be impressed by your party <laughs> trick of being able to like, you know, memorize it where it's like I'm spending a lot of my hard earned money to be at this restaurant and I don't want the extra anxiety of wondering whether you remembered <laughs> that I don't like almonds on my salad. Just write it down. Comfort me because I will say almost every time a waiter doesn't write it down, then they have to come back and like be like, oh, can I double check this? Just write it down. There's nothing wrong with writing it down. I promise I will tip you the same. We're not secretly talking about like how impressive it was that you memorized everything we wanted. Uh, (laughs) I love that. Okay, Dana, that reminded me of this tangential story. The other night I had an edible and watched the David Lynch (laughs) masterclass. Sure. (laughs) Um, and he, he, I know, right. He spends like 10 minutes just repeating. If you have an idea, write it down. You gotta write it down, write it down. And it's, it's very, I mean, when I was, 
you know, addled, it, it was a very funny moment. But I agree. Like, I think writing <laughs> things down is, is, is important. Um, I will go, I will go next. Um, okay, so it is October. It is among the least spooktacular Octobers we've ever had due to COVID. Remember a year ago, we were all complaining that Halloween lasted two weeks and we oh were all going to die yeah. of liver cirrhosis. Well, guess what? <laughs> Don't get a Halloween now or for the foreseeable and that sucks. But I still have been trying to maximize the like, fun, spooky feeling. I love like freeform Halloween, like movies like Adam's Family and, you know, those kind of like PG-13 level spooky movies. I tried out a new one. Um, This isn't a PG-13 level spooky movie, but I thought this might be a good thing to integrate into my rotation. Um, It was not. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and that movie is Interview with a Vampire. Oh, it is. hard disagree. Let's go. Oh my God, Riri, I will, I will drive over there. Let's go, Mama. Fight that with is you. art. Fight. It is an that artistic movie sucks. film. What are you no. talking about? It is horny as hell. It's soft boys. <laughs> it's just soft boys and wigs. It's Kristen Dunst being a diva at eight years old. Anytime, anytime. Okay, first of all, way too many, like, eating sounds. Like, there's so much, like, people are getting their blood sucked out of their mouth. I don't need to hear, I don't need to to hear the, the mouth sounds. That's mm. gross. That's super, super gross. Um, I don't buy any of the character arcs. The movie is hella racist. Um, I, uh, <laughs> it was just very... Very weird. It was horny in all the wrong ways for me. Oh, oh, and man. it was, I mean, I think it was a it was a relic of a time when if a couple of 37-year-old parents with two kids wanted to have a date night, they would go to the movie theater and see a horny movie or rent a horny movie and watch it after the kids go Are to Are you bed. saying you don't want a horny movie, Erin? I mean, I'm saying ooh, that horniness, I'm saying, I'm saying that ho- there have been great advances in horniness since the 90s. And uh, there's, it, there's just better options available. And it's uh, available at home. You don't have to make a whole big budget event. Interview with a Vampire sucks literally and figuratively and that's what I feel petty about this week. wow uh, you know what different sexualities for different folks but um <laughs> as I like also realized I've never shared how deep into vampire culture I've been my entire life like I love vampires I what? wanted to see this is an immortal new information I know it doesn't no one understands it but I had a real witchy vampire like time for a long time so like interview for a vampire for me is just like and i oh william bradley pitt was also very important to me uh (laughs) vaginally um so it's just and watching tom cruise under the pose of an angry top you know (laughs) works for me but i like i see like structurally as a writer as a creator I see it as one who, someone who, a woman who feels, Aaron, I think you're completely wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say oh, that man. Kristen, Kristen Dunst's little curls. The ringlet. Christian girl, ringlets, peak Christian girl autumn. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's she real really first was... day of school energy right there. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> um, Alyssa, what is your I feel petty this week? So I think Riri and mm-hmm. I may have similar, yeah. uh, pettiness. I uh, I was on Twitter as I can be and I saw everyone talking about Emily in Paris and it's like 
I was like, okay. There's actually a lot of sports on last weekend that I was not into and DK was into. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in the bedroom and I am going to watch Emily in Paris. And I have to say, it was one of the single worst things I have ever watched. And let's be clear, I love sex in the city. It may be an age thing because I'm essentially Carrie Bradshaw's age IRL, but like, I watched the Sex in the City movie. I can admit that two was mm-hmm, terrible, mm-hmm. but Emily in Paris was uh, absurd. She was the asshole. Like, if we want to do an Am yeah. I the Asshole, she was the asshole. Sylvie had worked her whole life, her boss, <laughs> to achieve, and this dipshit just shows up and is like, mm, can we talk? How come we can't be friends? Shut the <laughs> fuck up and learn a little thing about hierarchy. Oh, <laughs> in her little fucking beret. Fuck your beret. What American goes to Paris and puts a beret on in a business meeting and doesn't get ridiculed? She got whatever she deserved. Business beret. Wait. Her business beret. There's a business beret in this show. Is it a movie or a show? It's a show. show. It's It's a a show. show. There are 10 episodes. I watched all 10. I watched them in order. Riri, okay. what's the what about what's the your t- I can't believe you guys have the same I feel petty. Yeah, That's this amazing. feels exactly correct. Um, <laughs> I, I, I watched the whole thing and I was going to talk about it because I didn't waste five hours of my no, time. I, yeah, I wasn't going to have this alone. So here's the thing. <laughs> I've watched a lot of not great television because why? She got time. Same. Got same. time. And as someone, I am. A, I appreciate Darren Star because you, wa- you can watch the path from Sex and City first two seasons when he was around to Younger, which I love. Younger's so good. To you, Emily Paris. I can see the thing, but the problem is it's like Sex and City. It was a different time, even though I love it. Younger, it's, you think you're being tricked into candy, but it does star Sutton Foster and Debbie Mazar. So we're doing a different level of thing. (laughs) This, it stars Lily Collins, who honestly, she ain't got the range, but it's not just because (laughs) each episode has not a single bit of plotting that makes sense that she's like just running through I think someone called it French dick but that's with a Q-U-E at the end it's not because like she's performatively eating croissant you know like that's not what I have a problem with my problem is she lands in Paris with that dumb business beret and also says bonjour with a hard ass R that's fucking rude you want why there are a lot of Americans who go international and we can be horrible but have a good accent and I am sick and tired of being portrayed poorly in my non-adopted country where some French ladies asked me for directions because my coat was good so good and also there is no way in the world she could afford all that Chanel being a junior VP of marketing. Shut the Bullshit up. on her. Uh, I just call absolute bullshit, bullshit on her wardrobe. Bullshit. It is so stupid. And also as someone who has dedicated part of her life to learning other languages and it's very mm-hmm. hard and took French for 15 years and then Japanese. I went it to Chinese just, after. Learn three sentences. Okay. <laughs> like learn just a couple words. It's not funny. It's not funny it's not at all that she knows not to say hello or, or thank you or anything like that. She could learn how to say, I'm so sorry, I don't speak French. I went to France. I don't speak French. I learned that one sentence really, really well. Yeah. You when I was, I mean, right. I've never, never spent time in France, but when I was studying in Greece, the Greek phrase that I learned best was den katalevenuelenika. I do not understand Greek. It is a basic exactly. thing. Exactly. And in French, to say I don't understand 
I don't speak French is je m'excuse, je ne parle pas français. It's not it's hard. Not it's not just a complicated construct. Like this. It is very, it's very easy. It is very, uh, very easy. Je, Wait, je, one, je pense, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one more Emily in Paris thing. She gets like 20,000 Instagram followers with the cheesiest hashtag captions oh I've God. ever seen. The social media ladies it's, have been pissed. Do you know, I... Ask. <laughs> I made I, that made me so mad that I started talking to myself about it, and my husband was like, "Maybe they're hate following her," and I was like, "Okay." But I then the that. comments would be hot. That, the comments wouldn't be like tiny bad guys. I think she explosions. had comments turned off. You think she I don't turned think she off? Had on. You think she was verified? She's a pussy. I mean, she's fundamentally a it's pussy. It's just so wild because like it's, but at the same time, look. Working entertainment is a scam. It's a trillion dollar scam. And it gives me hope that they had an episode where she goes to a party, leaves, almost kisses a man, and then the episode is over. And that was put on television. And they got to shoot it on location in Paris. So all of our dreams could come true, guys, at any time. I just do have to say one thing. Mindy Chen is a jewel. She is a treasure. She was the best part of the whole Except show. Except she called Emily in Paris the Sondheim of television. Ashley Park. So that's unfortunate, yeah. <laughs> but I love to mean girls on Broadway, so. <laughs> oh, guys, now I got to watch this show. I mean, honestly, I gotta... can't wait for season do, two. Do, do. Let's I revisit it next week. I watched it in a single day. Single day. All 10 episodes. Me too. One day. Me, I watched it in 24 yeah. hours. Wow. Okay. Well, now I now I believe that I can and, and will do this, and, and it will help my October be more spooktacular because all of these things sound frightening. Um, guys, that's all the time we have. This was so much fun. Riri, Dana, Alyssa, thank you for stopping by. Thanks to Eleanor Holmes Norton, for whom I wore sequins today, for stopping by to chat with Alyssa and I. And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Magic Groot. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.